See, I'm counting spaces now. No, no. I, I uh, want to welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. And um, the situation with the obviously is we're still with our masks and 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 stuff. Um, we are going to ask you if you want to sing. Feel free to do so as long as you are wearing your mask. Um, the mask is keeps the projections from going so far, and so you feel free to sing. Somebody says, "Well, they, the, the the they said they don't want singing in the churches." I said they, that was a suggestion. They didn't make it a rule. But the other side of that is, is that I believe that's an intricate part of our worship, and uh, I think it's a an intricate part of our fellowship as well. So. Uh, we, you know, sing, but like I said, if you wear a mask, and by the way, if wearing a mask is a, is a hazard, you know, somebody that, that would come, but they can't wear a mask because of breathing difficulties or lung problems, this type of thing, they're not required to, to wear a mask at that point. They are asked to be careful, keep the social distances and stuff like that, but, um, the, they can come without the mask. Um, let's see. The, oh, I put down here, wearing the mask was my way around the no singing re- uh, request. Um, I think that's all I, I need to share right now. So, as with our opening song, feel free to sing, and if you want to stand up or sit down, either way, no problem. Good morning. We're glad you guys can come and worship with us. Jesus 
yours. And in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are ten thousand charms. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. View him prostrate in the garden. On the ground, your maker lies. On the bloody tree, behold him. Sinner, well, this not suffice. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms. And in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are ten thousand charms. Oh, there are ten thousand charms. Yes, there are ten thousand charms. In our prayer time this morning as we pray together, I would uh, like to focus on the, the, the COVID-19 situation that is around us globally. Um, and I thought that, that, you know, there's some specific, uh, you know, it, it appears they keep talking about this is the first wave. And it seems to me like it's wave on top of wave as far as what you're seeing on on the news and then especially some of the states like Arizona and Texas and stuff like that, where they're just this, they're having these days where there's more people every day getting the, getting it and in the hospital and dying. So the prayers that I, the way I looked at it was that, uh, those who have suffered loss of, of life in their families, the, the, those that are mourning, those who are suffering uh, because they have it and, and, and they're sick. Uh, those who are suffering financial loss and, and burdens. And, uh, I thought I would open it up to, to pray, ask a, a couple of people if you would pray. Uh, so do I have a volunteer that would lead out and take one of these? Thank you. Thank you. Brad, is that a yes on you too? Okay, so Brad and Alan, anybody else? Ted, okay. Uh, Brad, take those who are suffering uh, loss of life, uh, and uh, Alan, those who are uh, suffering the sickness itself, and those who are suffering financial, Ted. And then I'll close.
Lord, we don't hesitate to pray for the miracle that you would just simply break the cycle of this virus and that it, healing would begin and we would see everything, not, not just the idea of, of, of things leveling out, but Lord, things returning to normal. And we confidently leave that in your hands because we also know, Lord, that you have told us that absolutely everything happens. For those who believe, we can rest with the confidence that it's going to draw us closer to you, strengthen our walk. And we thank you that we have that confidence. Lord, cause us to turn to you. Not the news, not the government, but Lord, to you. And uh, just to rest with confidence that the God of all creation will see us through. And Lord, with that in mind, too, we thank you for the opportunity to approach you with the boldness that you've allowed. You've told us and invited us that all who believe can come to your throne with a sense of confidence and boldness to claim your mercy and grace. And that's exactly what we do today, Lord. We ask that you would pour out your mercy and your grace on our country, on our on our world, that, Lord, because of this horrendous thing that uh, has, has, has hit, our, hit us so, so hard, the other side of it, Lord, would be that there would be a great awakening. That people would start coming to you, looking to you. Give us the desire to be part of that. So I guess that along with a great awakening would be a, a great revival in the church as well. And that we would be bold witnesses everywhere we go. The people would see us that in spite of everything that's going on around us, we have a confidence that the God of all creation is walking us through this. And we can share that with others. And Lord, make your word especially come alive to us now. And in, 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 as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate on it, as we do our devotions, Lord, just cause your word to come alive to us through your Holy Spirit. And now as we commit the rest of this time in service to you, we ask as with our singing, with the message, as we open your word, all of it together, Lord, our communion service, that we would do it in such a way that you would be glorified, we would be blessed, strengthened in our walk, we ask to be drawn close to you and close together in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to stand? Feel free to do so. Now, O Lord, our shield about me, you're my glory, you're the lifter of my hand. Now, O Lord, our shield about me, you're my glory, you're the lifter of my head. Hallelujah, hallelujah, 
You're the lifter of my head. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Hallelujah. You're the lifter of my head. Hallelujah. 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 You're the lifter of my head. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more, where your grace is found. Where your grace is found. I don't know where. I'm sorry. Then runs deep. Your grace is more. Grace is found. Is where you are. Where you are. Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. So teach my song to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, 
And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and say. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and say. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're returning to verse 4. Uh, and uh, in context, uh, what was going on here where Paul is writing, if you'll you know, you're probably familiar with passages. Uh, chapter 12 and chapter 14 are dealing with spiritual gifts. And right in the middle of this, some people would say it looks like he took a, 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 a tangent or, as I'm accused of, followed a rabbit you know, hole or something. Uh, but when you see what he's doing, you'll you understand what he's why it's so important that he brought the concept of God's love and and how it works into the middle of this. See, what was going on in the Corinthians uh, church was you had the people saying, you know, oh, this gift is better than this gift, or this gift is the most important gift. Or uh, if you have the gift of, of tongues, you're more, you know, we want to hear that. We're not so interested in uh, the, the gift of, of some other gift to be expressed. Uh, and, and so the end result was is that there started to be a hierarchy. In fact, in some cases, it got to the point where in some groups, I don't know, we can't say that Corinth was one of them specifically, but it got to the point where if you didn't have certain gifts, the question mark about whether you were saved or not. And it's interesting that that has carried on clear to our time. I have I have seen it more than once where people say, well, you don't have this gift. You must not have the Holy Spirit yet. Let me be assuring you, the Holy Spirit is in you. At the moment of confession, it's not some event that happens down the line. You confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, and we have the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, what about the filling of the Holy Spirit? That is an ongoing process. It doesn't take in a specific church service or a specific event. It's something that's supposed to be going on. Be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse uh, 15, 16, 17, along in there, about uh, having being filled with the Holy Spirit instead of being filled with the stuff of the world. And and so it's a continuous thing. And so we should request, you know, in our prayer life, Lord, continue to fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I will have your wisdom, your understanding, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding, that I would be able to perceive your will. We need the Holy Spirit in us to do that. So 
this concern was is that it's the the hierarchies and the and the things that go plus there's other things uh oh we're of apollos oh we're of of, of peter oh we're of 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 paul oh we we are yeah and if you had a particular leader or, or teacher you were more special than than someone else and so paul addresses this i think through chapter 13 as we look at this and so uh uh you know the, the 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 question it comes down to is is uh, what what's the most important thing? And I as I was looking at this, you know, tongues, miracles, prophecies, healings. What's the most important thing? And I thought, man, this sounds familiar. Why so familiar? Well, go back to chapter uh, twenty-two of of Matthew. And you had the Herodians questioning Jesus. Jesus came up with an answer that, that caught them off guard and said, gee, we don't have a counter to that. And they walked away. Then the Sadducees, they approached Jesus and they had their question and, and, uh, and about resurrection, for instance, and, and stuff. And it, it, Jesus answered their question in such a way that it was scriptural and they had to walk away with, with, because they couldn't think of anything to say to him. And so the, the Pharisees thought, well, we've got one that he can't answer. I don't know if you recall what it is, but they, were, they basically, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave them the answer that they should have known. But as you see, they stood at the gate and debated, is adultery worse than murder? Or is, you know, on all these different areas of the command, to covet isn't as bad as to, uh, you know, take the Lord's name in vain. And, and different aspects of it. I've got news for you. Every commandment has the weight and authority of God on it and his word. So it has nothing to do with, with, with which one is, is more important or less important. There's no hierarchy to them. They're all important. And as, as a result, Jesus says the, the greatest commandment and, and, and it's interesting. He didn't use necessarily the, the words of the, of the, the commandments as they're recorded in Exodus 20, for instance. He says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the other, the other, the next one or the, the another one is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And I thought, well, that neither one of those are, are actually one of the Ten Commandments. You know, it, it, you're not to have any other God before him and all this kind of stuff. And then I realized the first four commandments are about loving God. The next six commandments are about loving each other and neighbors and how to interact with each other. And it's kind of interesting that all the laws, over 600 of them in the, New, in the Old Testament, stem back to one of those areas. It's like an, an indexer or, or maybe better a table of contents to the, to the laws that will be coming. <laughs> but the bottom line was that Jesus says, if you keep, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, keep the first four commandments, uh, you, and love your neighbor as yourself, the next six commandments, there's no law that comes against this. You've, you've succeeded. You're, you're doing the job. 
Now, does that mean that you're going to be perfect at it? No, that wasn't what Jesus was saying. But again, they walked away. They didn't have an answer. And so I'm putting here, you know, what's the most important thing? It's to love God. That's what uh, Paul is trying to to point out here. We're we're so busy talking about the gifts that we've sidetracked and we forgot the most important thing. With that in mind, let's go back to chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and read the first three verses. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And at the end of the chapter, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So Paul is just putting an emphasis and and maybe a little more detail as we look at this to what Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 22. You can have all the gifts and not have the love of God working through you. You've fallen short. You, you're like he says, you're a sounding gong. There's two people who look at that gong. The sounding gong was part of pagan worship. So you're not any better than pagan worship. Some people say the other one is that if you've ever hit a, a, a gong or hit the cymbals like this and pull them apart, they're really what? Loud for a moment. And then they just fade away. Yeah. He says, love is the constant. Love is the thing we're looking for. And so as we've gone through this, we've talked about those first three verses. And then in verse four, we've looked at love is patient. We've talked about that. Love is kind. We've talked about that. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Those are all positive. Love, you know, does not do these things. Uh, and, and, uh, love is patient and kind. All of these words, by the way, in the Greek language are actually verbs. And even though they write them here and they become a form of adjective uh, in, in appearance in the English language, they are a verb which requires something. What, is it, what does a verb require? Action. There's an expectation that you're going to do something. Okay. Love is patient and kind. And then the, and a positive note. The negative, love does not envy, love or boast. And then it is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not infallible, uh, irritable, excuse me, or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And those... Verses, you know, four uh, uh, through seven, actually going on down through the whole picture there. Uh, Paul gives 15 descriptions of, of love, patience, kindness. Today's focus is to be uh, on the idea that, you know, it says in verse four, love is not arrogant. Some of your translations will say love is not proud. And while that can be a literal translation for the word, because we have such a broad picture of proud, it, it 
arrogant is the better translation because that's also a, a translation of the word. And it, it gives you the fullness of what the Greek was trying to refer to here. Arrogant. OK, well, if you say somebody's proud and you say someone's arrogant, you might have two different pictures. And the reason why I said this and I wanted to make sure you understood it was there's a sense that at least that I was taught and 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 I'm sure many of you as well especially when I was uh, uh apprenticing for the, the the craftsman that I worked for when I was in high school and, and then on in college and and he said we do the best today we can with what we have to work with and he said maybe tomorrow we'll have better quality lumber to build something with we'll make something slightly better than we did today or maybe it will be not as good, but and, and, and but it will be the best we can do today. We are proud of the work we turn out here. Now, that's not arrogance. That is taking what? Pride in your work. Is that a wrong thing or a right thing? Generally speaking, we say we should be taking pride in our work. In fact, we've we've said over the last several decades that that's one of the things missing in the workplace is people aren't taking pride in their work anymore. So. We, the word proud isn't the best word to use here, and so we use the word arrogant, and it, I think it hits for what we're looking for. Um, love, uh, again, uh, it, it does not envy, does not boast, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not proud or arrogant. And by the way, pride in the context of arrogance is sin. Pride is sin. First John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Sin. Proverbs 8.13 says, pride and arrogance and the way of the evil uh, uh, perverted speech uh, God hates. In Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Tell Arlene I used that. <laughs> and, uh, and so we have this picture, uh, you know. What does love look like? Patient, kind, gentle. It's not of the world. It's of God and it comes through God. Pride and arrogance, it's of the world. It ignores, it doesn't look to God. I think also when I put down here, what does love look like? I, I thought of First John 3. 18, where it says that basically, I'll just paraphrase it, love is more than words. It's deeds and, 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 you know, and, and action. You know, it's, it's doing things for people. It's, it's active. And that's why, again, all of these words are verbs. Love is an active thing. I was looking at this. It says love is not. And I was thinking, okay, if love is not arrogant, then. And this is where 
uh, you know, math comes into things sometimes <laughs> when I'm thinking this. If then then if love is is not arrogant, then what is it? What's the opposite of arrogant? What's the opposite of arrogant? Humble, modest, low estimate of one's own importance. Now somebody says that can go too far, and you can you can have a pity party and all that kind of stuff. We're we're you know you're overemphasizing it at that point. The reality is is that what we want to see is, is that if it's not arrogant, then what is it? It's humble. Love is humble. More specifically, uh, maybe from a Christian perspective, we might even go to Matthew chapter uh, 5 in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, you know, because they're going to have the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be theirs. Blessed is the poor in spirit. And the word for, for, uh, poor here is, is to be a, uh, uh, to be a beggar, to be begging, to, uh, you know, being poor meaning not having a lot of resources. Uh, hence the picture, the poor is a person who is helpless, hopeless, powerless, Destitute of wealth, has no influence, has no position. I'm looking at that saying, you know, those are all negatives in my way of looking at things. I don't know about you. But to be poor in spirit is to be destitute of wealth. Well, in this case, destitute, the idea of being poor in spirit is being destitute of wealth in the sense that there is nothing you can accumulate that can save you. There's no amount of wealth. Therefore, you're destitute, no matter how much wealth you have. If you had all the wealth of the world, you wouldn't have enough. You would still be destitute when it comes to having the kingdom of God. Being a part of the kingdom of God. Christians are called to be humble, to be poor in spirit, to be ones who realize ultimately who they are in God's eyes. Be poor in spirit is to recognize that I am helplessly, hopelessly lost. I am a sinner. I am dead. In the sense that I have no hope of eternal life. I think of the scripture, and I know the the the, the people back then, the, the, especially the Jews, would think of the the God's requirement: "Be ye holy, as I am holy." I can't do it. I'm not capable. The moment I I, I first subconsciously did wrong, knowing what was right and wrong. I sinned with an sense of accountability, and I've <laughs> I've paid, I've lost my ticket to return it to the kingdom of God. But wait, Matthew three said the poor in spirit are, you know, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So if I'm poor in spirit, and I thought, okay, how? 
And I know I've shared these verses uh, a few times over the last several weeks, but I'm going to go back to them again in uh, the book of Colossians in chapter 2. Verses 6 through 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elements and spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him with who is the head of all uh, uh, rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is the this he set aside. And I love this phrase, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And, and that means the, the rulers and authorities, the powers of the air, which would be the demonic and, and, and Satan. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. That's what he's done for us. So when we confess Jesus Christ with our mouth, believe in our heart that he is the son of God. The Holy Spirit enters in. This is who we are now. We're, we were dead. Now we're alive. How are we made alive? He nailed our sins to the cross. There's nothing that we can do. There was nothing we could offer. There was nothing we could bring to the throne. We were helplessly, hopelessly lost. That's what it is to be poor in spirit. That is what it is to be humble. Now, there is more to humility than that. Humility also takes into account other people around you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor. And then it says, as yourself. And if you understand Hebrew uh, the way it goes, which I can only tell you, but I was taught because I'm not a great Hebrew scholar. But the idea is, is that what is transitioning there is that God is first. My neighbor is second and I'm third. If, if my neighbor's in need and I have the means in my pocket to take care of it and I refuse, I've sinned. We love each other. We put the other person ahead of ourselves. Romans gets into that as well. We, we, we put the other person ahead of ourselves. And so, when when that person is blessed, we're excited for them. What if they already have a lot and they get blessed more? We're still excited for them. We're not envious. We've talked about that. We're kind towards each other. We love each other. We care for each other. We would literally, if the love is complete in us, that is in, 
that's in Christ and it's complete in us, we would die for each other. So to be, when it says love is not arrogant, it is saying love is humble. It reflects what it is to be poor in spirit. Psalm 51, 7, coming from the Old Testament, is a powerful picture of what it is to come to an understanding of who you are in your sins. You're familiar with this passage. Uh, some of it we even sing. But David's writing, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. David's praying, you know, praying, pleading with God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now that's where we kind of lose it because that's where the song ends. But there's more. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. In other words, I will test, I'll give a testimony to, to people who are wrestling with sin, just like I am. And I'll tell them about you and your grace and your mercy. And sinners will turn to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. In other words, as we see what God has done for us who were helplessly, hopelessly lost, we were dead in our sins and he's made us alive again. What's our response? To sing with joy. To, to praise him. And to tell other people about what he has done. Oh God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Oh Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice. I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. If we know who we are before God, we will go through this process. Because that is what it is to be poor in spirit. It is to be humble. To realize we're not in control. We're not, you know, who, who is the, 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 you know, I, 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 I remember the, the story, um, the guy that wrote the, the book, you know, God is my co-pilot. And the idea is, 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 he, he, God was with him in, in battle and everything else. But, the reality is, we, we use the car as an analogy. God wants to what? Take over the wheel. He wants to, there's a song, a, a good old country song about that. But the idea is, is God is to be in control. We are to take basically the back seat. And ask the Lord where. You know, take me where you would. Open the door to where you want me to be. I will follow. We have the joy 
of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the demonic, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's an important sentence. Who is free of this sinful nature? Nobody. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all wandered and gone astray. It says, among whom all you you all once lived. In the, pa- in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up from... Made, <clears throat> by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. The result should be as being humble in Christ, poor in spirit, being humble in Christ. Putting these things together that Paul is talking about in in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants and promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, who once were, uh, you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, referring to Jews and Gentiles. So making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All of that is what we receive in Christ when we receive him as our Savior.
And again, it's made clear by the blood of Christ through the cross. We're told to have the mind of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. The mind of Christ who humbled himself. He is our example of humility. He didn't come demanding. Theoretically, if we look at it right, he was the son of God in the flesh. What should have happened? Everybody should have been doing what? Falling on their faces, he walked by. But instead, he got insults, he got arguments, he, 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 and, and he came to go through all of that. The God of all creation, having to, in a sense, endure his creation, refusing him, rejecting him, ultimately crucifying him. That's a powerful example of humility. I was thinking in here, one more scripture from the Old Testament, what God wants from us. In reference to this idea of poor in spirit and, and, and humility. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow? Myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of, of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What do I do? And then the scripture you're familiar with. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do just and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Jonathan Edwards, I just uh, close with this quote. In pride, we become the object of our own love. In humility, we learn to love God and then others. Let me read it one more time. In pride, we become the object of our own love. That's what arrogance is. In humility, or in spirit, in humility, we learn to love God and then others. As we approach communion, let us do so with humble hearts. I think of... of, much of what I, I, I see in the way of commercials, uh, there's a few of them that, uh, you know, you know, you deserve a break today. You deserve this. You deserve that. And they actually use the word deserve. And I, I know, uh, that some of you, uh, probably do the same as I do. Every time you hear that, you flinch because I do not want what I deserve. What I deserve is death. In fact, the moment that I sinned consciously, again, knowing the difference between a moral right and wrong and going ahead and doing wrong. I should have been judged and 
executed, if you will, judged and, and, and condemned to death. Well, I was condemned to death, but God didn't bring his judgment on me. He waited. That's grace, by the way, at work. And so what we all deserve is judgment and death. But what God has given all who confessed him, he's given us life, eternal life in the kingdom of God. What an amazing thing we have. So let's rejoice in that and and celebrate And as we share in communion, we recognize what Christ has done for us. He's nailed our sins to the cross in order to bring us to him, that we could be at peace with God. And to be at peace with God means to no longer have anything stand between us. That's what it is to be peace with God. We've been reconciled. That's the the worship team. Uh, to come up and uh, sing for us. Uh, and you can sing along if you would like for, the, for uh, our communion hymn. And uh, then we'll share communion together. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops and blood for mine. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. When with the ransom and glory, his face I at last shall see. So I'll be my joy through the ages to sing of his love for me. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me.
again, we have these individual communions, uh, cups and, and wafers together. If you break the front little flap that sticks out and push it back down forward, uh, you might be able to grab a hold of easily the, the little thin, almost clear covering. And if you'll pull that back, it'll expose the bread. And so, uh, as you do that, and, uh, let's, uh, share the bread together. Father, we thank you so much for you coming to us. And, and it says, you emptied yourself and you came in the flesh. We often think of this as we share the bread together of, of your flesh on the cross, but it was a sacrifice from beginning to end in the flesh. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. We share the bread together now. Opening the cup might be a little more difficult because it's sealed a little more strongly. So I, I, I start to peel it back and then I grab a hold of the little lip that sits out here on the front and hope that I don't spill it all over the place. Father, we thank you that we can come with confidence knowing that our sins indeed have been nailed to the cross, that you shed your blood, you died on the cross for us, you took our place, you reconciled us to, to God the Father. We are justified through your faith, through, through your gifts and through your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. And so we come to share the cup, doing so in remembrance of you and your shed blood. Thank you, Lord. Let's share the cup together. Father, we ask now that you would go with us. Cause us, Lord, to find time for you through the week. And again, build in us that confidence that the God of all creation is our Savior. And that while we live in a fallen world and there's consequences of that and disease and sin and all of the things that go because of a fallen world, we can't point our finger at that because we are a part of that. But because of what you have done for us, you have raised us past. You've brought us out of, of death and into life. And we thank you that we can have the confidence to know that no matter what else happens in this world, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We have that confidence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one more song. Can you please stand with us as we close? There's a treasure great in beauty, far surpassing earth's great wealth. He is Jesus, Prince of Joy, source of all grace, peace, and health. There's a fountain never flowing, satisfying all who drink. He is Jesus, spring of joy, to all who have him as their king. There's a power, holy power, breaking bonds of captive men. He is Jesus, mighty Jesus, Holy warrior and sinner's friend. 
There's a Savior rich in mercy, with to pardon all our sins. He is Jesus, great Redeemer, reconciling God and man. There's a glorious Lord returning, and all will bow to Him alone. He is Jesus, King of nations, reigning from His gracious throne. There is one to whom all praises, well through every age of sin. He is Jesus, King forever, whose wondrous rule will never end. There is one to whom all praises, well through every 